Function room 28. Things fall apart. The baffling arithmetic of derelict buildings. I talked to Jude Sherry and Frank O'Connor. They're systems designers who live in Cork in Ireland. That's what they do by trade. But since they came back to Ireland a few years ago, they couldn't understand why so many buildings were abandoned. This episode is not incredibly mathsy. It's more about the absence of mathematics. Why does a country which has a shortage of homes for tens of thousands of people also have tens of thousands of empty buildings falling apart? We learn about embedded carbon, the sneaky reason why you can let your building rot and still make money, and how we might possibly get dereliction right. By ending it, I presume. For listeners abroad, the references here are fairly Irish, in fact, fairly Corkish, but maybe the themes are international, and the message definitely is international. If dereliction makes you annoyed, then at the very least, go for a walk, look up above you, and count. The first question, though, is a simple one. What is dereliction? It's a, it's an interesting question, actually, because often we talk about dereliction, but the definition of it doesn't get explained. It can be quite a loose definition. Um, so in, I think it depends on the context. If I was, we were living in the Netherlands, for instance, and we had a building that was maybe in a state of disrepair, even needed to be painted, that might be considered maybe legally derelict from the point of view of it. It's not adhering to the standards of the street. Um, the de- I think the the dictionary definition might be like an abandoned house in Ireland. It's the legal definition is when it has a negative impact on the neighbourhood. Um, so for our perspective, that's a building that's in such a bad state of disrepair that it's dangerous and um, that it's not in use for a very long time. Um, so there could be, it, yeah, it could be quite a fairy. So it's quite a, I a think loose term. Yeah, I mean, what we found is it's quite open for interpretation and it becomes, depending on who's having the conversation, it can be almost like a reason not to do something about it, you yeah. know, because it's not black and white really as such and I suppose that's one of the things that we've been pushing a lot is to kind of get clarity around that but I think it's key thing for us is if it has an impact on the environment around it impact on the street impact on the neighborhood I mean that's what we've been looking at anyway but I think the definition from the 1990 it's in the 1990 derelict act isn't it you know the definitions given in that so it's it is kind of outlined there and what we've kind of realized since we've come back is that each local authority will interpret it differently, you know, or depending on what role you're in yourself, whether you're, you know, whatever position you are in society, you'll interpret it differently. But ultimately for us, it's something that takes away a property from use and has an impact on the environment as well. Very good. The reason you're on this podcast is, uh, you know, this is a podcast about maths and numbers, and it's almost a quest for me to, my little way of making sense of the world Mm -hmm. For, but the thing about dereliction is and a house that isn't in use and has crumbled beyond repair and all of those various definitions, technical and non-technical, the main thing is it doesn't make sense or it looks like it doesn't make sense. And I suppose in, in talking about this, um, maybe we, we can uncover in the, the numbers behind it and the, the economics behind it. That when something looks like it doesn't make sense to like a normal right thinking human, it probably makes sense to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll explore that in this. First of all, what's the scale of dereliction that you can see in a, in a country like Ireland, a small country? 
So we would consider the scale being at an epidemic level. So, I mean, the official stats say that there's 22,000 derelict homes across the country. Um, but to give you an example, when we started looking specifically at Cork City, uh, the local authorities were reporting 95 derelict properties within a radius of about seven kilometres. We found over 700 within a two kilometre radius. So it's a very large scale problem in Ireland. But one of the challenges we have in Ireland, which again, Jude may want to go into more detail on, is we have a lack of accurate data. So what we try to do with our work is to uh, focus on Cork City, focus within a management radius and try and produce, I suppose, the first study of its kind. that gives more of an accurate representation. So if you've got 22,000 officially derelict homes across the country, and you've got 166,000 vacant homes, which and vacancy is the gateway to dereliction. Uh, you can see it's it's a particularly high scale, and that doesn't consider necessarily the ghost estates as well, which we have um, quite a number of ghost estates, 75 ghost estates left as well, which equate to 2,000 homes. So you're talking quite a large scale. Uh, in in Data is always the is the key thing. It, it strikes me from looking at your work, which uh, I follow on Twitter, and I, and the photographs are very impactful. And they like photographs; they're anecdotal, but they're data as well too. What it what it looks like to me, what you're doing, and hopefully building this network of people doing the same. It's like a citizen science project, yeah. isn't it? Because you know, say you're doing something in the environmental space, and you know, if you have a feeling the water is bad, because it looks awful, but you've no, you can't explain it to anybody, like, unless you have uh, a number of people collecting. Like, this, mm. this, what you're doing, it's so important, isn't it? This bottom up grassroots yeah. collecting of data to present the problem that we kind of know is there. Yes. Yeah. How can we, how can we encapsulate it? And I suppose, from our point of view, when we started doing this, see, we had only moved back to Ireland late 2018. We'd been away for, I was away for 23 years, Jude was away for 12. And I suppose when we came back and we started to see the dereliction, the vacancy, the housing crisis, the heritage decaying, and talking to people, we realised it had become very normalised. So again, building on what you just said, Colm, yeah, that was for us was, once we started to share the photographs and do the research ourselves, I suppose, really, we were shining a very, very bright light. And that's the way we approached it. Like, this light's so bright that we're shining on that you can't avoid it anymore. And I suppose while people were seeing it every day, they were so used to seeing it, I suppose, that they'd become blind to it. And I suppose the photographs and the video, which have worked well at different periods, have helped to bring it out into that conversation. And I suppose also because of COVID and when we started three years ago this month or three years ago last month, um, because of COVID, people were restricted with the 2K radius, 5K radius. And our campaign started at the same time, similar time frames. I think it worked really well. As people were walking around amongst their cities and towns, they were beginning to see what we were talking about. And I think that worked really well from our point of view. Overall, like with the the challenge in Ireland is that we don't have any uh, accurate, up to date data on our built environment, so we don't even know exactly how many homes are in the country. Yeah. So if you're starting from that basis, we don't know how many homes, we don't know how many buildings are in the country. 
trying to define them by their use, whether they're fakened or used or whether what state of disrepair or whether they're, they're derelict or whether they're dangerous becomes much more complicated or impossible to do, actually, if you don't have that starting data. So I think what when we when we did start, we did get a lot. We thought we'd continue for Frank's daily dose of dereliction, the, the <laughs> massive Twitter thread. We thought we'd go on for a, a couple of months yeah, and that would be it. We didn't realize that after a year, we'd still have a backlog of properties that we could have uploaded onto that thread. It just after a year of doing it every day, it just got too much. But I think what that showed, as you said, it's citizen science. When it's out there, when it's visual, and unlike a lot of other environmental data, like climate emissions, greenhouse gases, biodiversity loss, these are very hard to track. They're they're done on a on a on a global scale. They're they're hard for us to see and to make tangible. Where dereliction is, you know. Any of us living in a town or city centre just have to walk out our front door and we see it. So it's it's tangible. It's something that we can see. We don't realise the scale of it until we start adding it all up together. And I think that's what that's what the tread did was just within a small two kilometre radius of the city centre, a very urban, densely urban packed area. We have so many buildings that have been empty for so long. Mm. They're now officially uh, a blight on the city. And Google Maps was so useful for us because yeah. like, we've been living away. We come back, fell in love with the city, uh, fell in love with the friendliness of the people particularly because we were moving from Amsterdam, which is an amazing city. But you come back to Cork and everyone's chatting and friendly, you walk around. And I suppose we didn't know the city. And uh, we, we love cities, both of us. We love cities. So we love what I mean, we will go on holidays to, to cities just to walk around and explore them. But for us... It was kind of, it was a huge shock to us. And I suppose things like Google Maps became a really useful tool so we could say, well, actually, okay, this is boarded up now. What was it like a couple of years ago? And we could go back as far as 2009. And that was particularly useful. And, and now we've gone back. So we started in 2020. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we've gone back three years. We've visited every house in that thread again and just gone back three years later and going, okay, well, what state are they in now three years later? Why don't we have a, an idea of how many buildings there are in the country, if Google Maps presumably can recognize a roof um, and Google Street View can recognize faces automatically to blur them, then sure, you know, surely you could slap a some sort of program on top of it and literally count all the roofs. You, you would think so. You, you would assume so. I mean, that's there should be some way of, of getting an overall figure. But just to see, show you the difference between that, the census said we have two million one hundred and twenty four thousand homes. And the Geo Directory, which puts an air code against everyone, says we only have two million eighty-seven thousand. So there's like a sixty thousand difference between the census and Geo Directory. So when we brought in the Geo Directory, the air codes, we didn't actually place an air code on every property. Okay. So we started with a a, a failed system straight away, mm-hmm. and that causes massive problems then. And. In the, in the data side. And I think we've only realised that. We've realised that a lot of properties that are derelict in Cork City are not, haven't got an air code assigned. And uh, and I suppose coming in from the Netherlands where they're very good on their heritage and their built environment, their architecture, there's accurate data on every building. You know, it's just like everything is mapped out so well so that they can then obviously keep a track, maintain, you know, and all those type of things. And for us, that is a big frustration, isn't it? You know, I yeah. mean, we love Cork. Uh, we fall in love, not just with the city, with the architecture, the heritage, but to see it, to be honest, columns, to see it crumbling to the ground is heartbreaking every day. You know, yeah. and that's the reality. But 
the foundation for all of this has to be a solid set of data and build from that. And then you can put your maintenance strategies in place. You can do everything around that. But without that, there's always this argument about, well, what's the numbers and stuff? And, and again, going back to why the study we did was so significant was it was citizens, it was self-funded, it was just the two of us using our skills, walking around and mapping it. And it showed then that dereliction was a problem, but it also showed the scale of it for a small uh, part of the city. And also, I suppose, really showed what the potential is as well. You know, when you look at the buildings, you go, my God, that's a yeah. wonderful building. Imagine that as a home or a place to create. It, and it also showed that we can, we have the buildings and homes there. We just need to make sure to get mm. them back into use. So we have enough homes and buildings in Ireland currently. Maybe not for future demands, we will need to build more, but we can provide, there should be no reason why we have people homeless or mm. in overcrowded accommodation or or paying too much of their their income onto, onto their housing costs. When, when I was growing up, dereliction was often just mainly ascribed to a cottage in the middle of nowhere and mm. somebody had died and then the children didn't know what to do with it. And so there was an, the inertia around it would be understandable because it's bound up in emotion, location, viability. But you're mapping an area in what we probably now call the second largest English speaking city in, <laughs> in the EU. Um, what are the inertial forces which make no mathematical or economic sense that buildings through the historic centre cannot be refurbished. What's going on there? I don't see any reason why most buildings can't be refurbished. So depending on what way you look at it, it's economically uh, viable. It may not be financially viable on an individual level when you're looking at profit margins. Um, But when it comes to the overall true costs of renovating existing buildings, providing either... Uh, homes or creative spaces or community spaces, there is an economic necessity there to do that. And there's a massive demand in all our urban and city centres to do that. I think there's a cultural issue in Ireland still around dereliction. Um, We seem to have a preference to culturally preference uh, landowners over people who maybe don't own land. And that goes back um, in Irish culture since independence as much as prior to independence. I think the challenge when, when you talk about previously it would have been rural as opposed to now being urban, I think that's maybe how we culturally few urban living in Ireland. We don't see it as a viable option for families because currently it's not. Um, so, for instance, here in Cork City, if I want to bring my child to, uh, if we had children wanted to bring them to a playground, we'd have to walk nearly half an hour to get there. Um, that's unviable in a city centre. As opposed to when we lived in Amsterdam, they were literally outside our door. You know, every corner or every square would have a have a, a a small playground or a place where children can play and be free. So that it's not urban spaces, whether it's small towns. I think it still ends up with sometimes families uh, leaving properties derelict because they don't want to live in these urban far- environments. And so they go live in suburban areas or in rural areas to have their bigger houses, um, which is all then car dependency living as well. So it's mm. I think there's those cultural elements involved in it. Yeah, as I well. think that's definitely I mean for us coming back, that old against new and we love we were living in cities abroad for, for decades and we love being close to everything. We don't own a car, we rent one if we need one, we walk, cycle, public transport. No, that's our lifestyle. It suits us really well. And we'd love if everyone 
could move back into cities in that kind of environment. But we do understand, like Judith said, that it's not an easy environment to move back into. I mean, because of the traffic, because of the pollution, because of the lack of creches, for example, play spaces, all these key amenities. And I suppose, again, you, we're coming from Amsterdam, which got this so, so right. And then you come back to Cork and you see the potential of Cork, two cities built on marshes. In fact, there's a lot, an awful lot of Dutch influenced architecture in Cork as it happens. In fact, the Dutch were over building in Cork back in the, was the 16th century. Mm -hmm. So so basically, you know, you have a lot of similarities, but what you haven't got, you've, and we have the vacancy, uh, we have the dereliction, but we don't have the families moving back in. And we were surprised ourselves to come back and see the price of a property like ours in the city centre was a lot more affordable yeah, than the suburbs. Yet the house we bought, now it needs a lot of work. Still, <laughs> we're slowly doing it, but it's, it's we found out after buying it. No one knew when we were buying it. It's two hundred year old house in a two hundred year old terrace. You know, in the Netherlands, you wouldn't be able to get that in a city centre. There's no yeah. way you could afford it. So, so what we value here is quite different. And of course, for Jude Nine, a lot of our work is around sustainability, around systems. And for us, and for the way research has shown internationally, the most sustainable building is the existing one. So we really need to work in a climate crisis, resource crisis, biodiversity crisis. We need to work what we have. And so I think there is a, quite a few disconnects here where Irish people, rightly so, because cities don't work in terms of families or in terms of elderly people or maybe people with ability issues. There's lots of challenges, but they're moving into the suburbs, moving into the countryside, and really it's not helping in terms of a wider global challenges and i suppose again a lot of our work in cities was was to do with sort of looking at i suppose global trends and what we found is that in other countries people are moving back into cities whereas in ireland they're still tending to move back out yeah and getting back to when you were talking about um financial versus economic sense and you know cultural influences do we need to and indeed the value of your 200-year-old city centre house and not to drive up the price of your house or anything, but in terms of valuing a space that in order to bridge the gap between, look, this makes uh, societal, economic in the long-term sense, and I'm sorry, I'm an investor. I, I, I'm, only, I'm 55. <laughs> I can't wait for the return. You know, how do we bridge the gap between uh how we value things are you know so that it makes sense for people to put money in to something where the return is different or isn't as obvious i think the the focus should be on individual homes bringing long term vacant and derelict individual homes back into use for ho as for homeowners on that level it's cheaper to do that than it is to build new yeah. So it's cheaper as a homeowner to renovate an existing building than to build new. The challenge with that is that unless you already own the property, so you've inherited or you've bought it and it's gone into dereliction or vacancy. So unless you already have that wealth asset, you won't. it's unlikely you'll, you'll get a mortgage to pay for that. So although we have grants of up to 84,000 now, if you live on an island, 70,000 for any other derelict property, so that goes a huge amount away. You've got SEAI grants for energy retrofitting. So there's a huge amount of money, but they generally only benefit those who already own the, that wealth asset of the, the existing property. The banks are refusing often, although they say on their websites that they will give mortgages, they often refuse to give mortgages to um, 
to a homeowners to renovate properties. And even the council's home loans around uh, mortgages and stuff that are meant to bridge that gap between affordability, what the banks won't give, then the councils have a, a system to give a mortgage. Even that won't cover homes that need renovation. And um, so there's a massive gap for people. I think there's a lot of people like us. So we're, Frank's in his 50s. I'm in my 40s. We're not exactly very fit people. We're not exactly very hands-on people, but we're renovating our home ourselves because it's cheaper. So we've developed the skills. We've learned those skills. We've learned about old buildings. I think there's a there's so many people getting back in touch with us as they would like to do the things that they can do DIY on houses. Um, obviously, electricians and plumbers and structural, you need professional people. But I think those skills, getting people's skills into people's hands to do as much themselves and making sure they have access to the funding. And then the next thing is the house has been sold as derelict and vacant properties are too expensive mm. um, because there's no pressure on owners to sell. They can hold on to them as long as they want. And so trying to get it, that's where like a, things like a vacancy tax or compulsory sales orders or um, CPOs if as, as a last resort, if we can get a bit of pressure on owners to actually start selling their properties, that could hopefully bring down the price of derelict and vacant properties so it can make it more affordable for people who actually need it. Yeah, and I suppose on that, you see at the moment you've got a dereliction levies, which was 7% on the price of a property every year, but they're not enforced. Now, we've been arguing that they should be enforced across all derelict properties. The local authorities should collect the funding, put it together to create some kind of a support group to actually help people like us, other people, to bring their properties back into use. So that's a big issue. So there's a lot of potential money to be collected. And also maybe in Ireland, we need to stop looking at the private market to solve all these problems. Because maybe when it comes to our built heritage, we shouldn't be looking at it as if it's just as a profit. Mm. We've got 65 billion in taxes coming in over the next few years. We have uh, people already calling for a national building uh, organization. So maybe we, that needs to be the primary focus instead of building new is actually using the existing buildings we already have. And, and just like, on just on the idea of building new, is there a um, like it's almost like a turn of phrase that we use in terms of what makes uh, financial and effort and heartbreak senses, I'll oh, just knock it and start again. Or you're, you know, it's a money pit. You're wasting your time with that. Yeah. Like, like, and is the is the gap there a value on the embedded carbon of the bricks and the foundation? So, in all of these things, obviously, Cork, Cork, the example of Cork, it's a, you know, it's a Martian. Foundations will need some help, in particularly older areas, which is why streets are buildings are falling out into the street, I presume. But in general, stuff that's already there, that that cement's been burnt in a kiln somewhere. You know, it, at the very least, it occupies space. But I, I still wouldn't know how to quantify the value of an old block that's still there. For me, it would be like, well, I suppose I need to test it, take it out, and I might end up throwing it out anyway. But I have no concept of, what, of the value of leaving it there, if you know what I mean. Is that is that a literacy that we need across all areas of the system, which is what is the value of a block or a foundation or a structural timber that's already there? Add on your 30% cost of keeping it there, but still, what is the value of it? Yeah. I think that's a big challenge with buildings is that we, we there's been so much an emphasis on energy efficiency in buildings and how we operate the buildings. And that is a colossal contribution to our climate emissions in Ireland is that we, we're very conscious of that. 
So we then have a tendency buildings that haven't been renovated or retrofitted or older buildings as being inefficient when it comes to energy. And if we just focus on that operational level, we miss out, as you say, all the carbon that's been created earlier on in that life cycle uh, in order to get those materials there in the right in the first place. And so the one way to think about it is that full life cycle costing or life cycle assessment approach. And so where you consider the all the carbon that's gone into a material um, to get it into its existing form. So that's why we say the most sustainable building is existing is because there's been environmental damages happening, has happened earlier on to get that into existence. So there's a lot of studies that go into, there's a lot of research happening that comparing renovating an existing building, taking out some of the materials and putting new materials in, as opposed to, as you say, demolishing and building new. And a lot of the research has shown that it's about 25% less on average, uh, carbon emissions to renovating than, than knocking it down and building new. So you, you save 25% of the carbon emissions over the full life of the product, of the, of the building. When it comes to carbon emissions, if you're knocking a building down and building a new buildings that are even the most energy efficient new buildings that you've got, it can take 80 years to claw back that carbon that's gone into that new construction, especially if it uses things like cement and steel, because these are... So cement, steel and aluminium, to give you another effect, uses up 23% of the global climate emissions um, go on making these very energy intensive materials that go into a new building. In Ireland, if we were building most new buildings from uh, wood, uh, wood, wooden frames, then the argument for carbons it might become less. That 25% might be reduced into 10%. It might be more on a balance. So it's really, if we take, we can't afford to put, if we have to put 80 years worth of emissions into the environment now to build an energy efficient house now rather than retrofitting what we have we can't afford to do that we're already in climate change we already have our oceans overheating we already have we've got el nino coming this year this summer is going to be extreme so we're already in it we also research has shown that using existing buildings as opposed to demolishing and building new can save 57 to 75 percent of environmental impacts across six, six like around biodiversity, so around yeah. other environmental indicators. So it's it's it, it's it's a cultural thing, but it's also, I suppose, understanding the science behind it. And, and also understanding that you need to count the externalized costs yeah. of a thing, like outside the your own that's, little um, bank that's, account. That's the challenge, I think. It's a huge challenge. And that's not a challenge just in Ireland, it's globally as well. Mm. That I mean, it's something costs. we've been talking about for years with our work, those true costs. You know, and uh, and again, also for us, what we've kind of figured out, getting advice from different people along the way, that a lot of people generally don't know, or genuinely actually don't know about a lot of the way buildings function. We've had to live in the house here. It's been a good excuse for us not making progress to live in the house for so long to get to understand you're, it. You're doing a longitudinal study. That's it's, exactly it, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the reason it's taking so long. But but yeah, what we're finding is the building functions very differently to a, to a new build. Yeah. So the breathability is a big aspect and, uh, and you know, and even the, the heat levels as well. So I think there is that a lot of that knowledge and skills have, have gone and we really need to invest in that as well. And then another big issue is obviously access to labour, the skilled labour, mm. which we don't have for, especially for older buildings. So if most of our derelict buildings are in towns and city centres, these are going to be our heritage buildings. We don't have the skills at a scale that we need to do that. But we're also spending, uh, using a lot of that that uh, finite resources of labour, we're using that labour in building offices 
and yeah. hotels and our offices. There's so many offices being built around Dublin and Cork at the moment, but they're just going to end up lying empty because there's literally no market anymore for them. And I suppose you mentioned there earlier about some of the buildings in Cork crumbling. Yeah, there's been hundreds of buildings crumbling over the last decade and uh, quite a lot since we came back. But it's not necessarily about the, the marshes. It's a lot of that is really back to poor maintenance, really, you know. Uh, and I think, again, we haven't got that preventative maintenance mm. mindset here in Ireland, you know. So and Like that's, for instance, on that um, in the Netherlands, they do review of the buildings on a regular basis. They, they'll check in the 70s and 80s. They spent a huge amount on checking the foundations of all the buildings on marshes because of that reason, because they do need to be updated. So they know they'll know what condition they are in. Mm. Where here we haven't got a clue until it starts to collapse. But still, half a foundation can be topped up. You don't have yeah. to dig. You know, the nature of preserved foundations is you just keep piling them down until they're strong enough. And so there, yeah. there's value in what's already there. And yeah. it's, it's amazing in Amsterdam when you see buildings uh, getting their foundations done. The whole building, the staircase, everything inside is propped up, and then just the bottom is literally scraped yeah. out to be to be refilled as a new foundation. So it, the, the know-how and technology is there globally. Is there. About bringing it and here. I suppose, like, come back to Cork, is that Cork has a wonderful set of architectural uh, heritage in the buildings. You know, we have some wonderful buildings in Cork, and they could bring a lot more. I suppose tourism. And other types of economic benefits if they were maintained and if they got the kind of respect they needed. And then once we lose those, then you lose the character of Cork. Yeah. So that kind of value, again, it's hard to kind of put an exact figure to it, but it's extremely, I, I think it's priceless as far as I'm concerned, you know. I mean, that's where, again, people like the Dutch have recognised that. We will go to Amsterdam one way and we look at the architecture there. We'll go to Paris and we'll walk around the old parts. Why can't people come to Cork? and walk around the old parts of the city and, and get the same type of vibe, you know. As system designers, what is the system, what are the boundaries of the system that need to be redesigned while in motion? Good question. <laughs> yeah, I suppose um, for us as system designers, yeah, we look at, I suppose, all the resource flows, all the different parameters. And I suppose if you're applying direct, definitely to Ireland in terms of direction, I mean, we have to, we always start with the data. You know, I mean, we, you know, until we have an accurate set of data, then I suppose that's the foundation. Yeah. And then around that, then I suppose we've looked a lot at the kind of policy mechanisms we need. And I think Jude's mentioned already that, um, that we need a kind of a, there's a shift in culture and there's a shift in policy as well. And the policy toolbox we have in Ireland at the moment isn't very, very adequate. So you kind of, we look at a system in Ireland, we go, well, it's not, I know these are kind of cliched words, but it's definitely not joined up. Each local authority takes its own unique approach, interprets things differently. So for us, it's kind of like, if you want to connect it all together, you want to have a joined up data approach, you want to have a joined up strategy across the country, and then you want a much more extensive toolbox of measures, which includes things like Jude hinted at there, compulsory rental, compulsory sales, you know, so I suppose that's yeah. kind of ours. So the, I suppose there's three main things that need to change on a systems level gen in general, and that's the policy level, which mm. you're outlining. We need policies that reflect the preference of, of using our existing buildings and maybe saying that it's not acceptable for owners to leave buildings empty any longer when there's such a need for it, and especially in urban areas. We need then this, the individual, the, the citizens or culture change. So us as, as citizens need to stand up and say, OK, this is no longer acceptable. I, I shouldn't have to risk my life when I walk down the streets of my city. 
through the risk of buildings falling on top of me. I also then as a citizen, um, maybe it takes more responsibility in learning those renovation skills, for, for instance. So there's the policy, there's the citizen level, and then there's the industry level. And in Ireland, we have a, when it comes to say buildings, we have for a lot of our, say, in, uh, insulation materials and stuff that we have to import because we don't produce them here. So we don't have the industry that supports that renovation here, and especially for older buildings or for non-toxic materials. So it's we have a forest. We don't have a system that works. We have a forestry system that isn't biodiverse and isn't using native forests. If we had a, bar, a forest, forestry systems that combined with wooden construction, that combined them with the likes of wood fiber insulation, we could have a whole bio economy that was fair, was um, sustainable, was biodiverse and was would be climate neutral than our current system. So we have that industry system mm. also needs to change in how we how okay. we act. So they're, they're the main three things. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, it's quite a big ask, but we also think it's very possible as well. You know, I mean, but it won't happen if you don't start. I suppose that's the yeah. first thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, it, yeah. that's it. But I suppose you have to recognize that it has to happen first. That's it. And I think yeah. that's the kind of challenge um, that what we're seeing isn't it you know there's a kind of a i suppose there's always cultural resistance yeah. to any kind of change and just on cultural resistance and all that is there a nefarious op- opposition like does it make economic sense for a, a evil lex luther type to let cities crumble and hollow out from the inside for some unspecified benefit to bad guys i suppose like, like is- does it make does it make numerical and mathematical and economic sense for a set of bad actors such who don't give a shit about about humans you know so i think unfortunately on an individual level it can make a lot of financial sense um for someone to speculate and hoard property so if we had a look at some properties that were just small terraces two up two down so nothing no major developers plots but small terraces go up and that that are derelict that have been derelict for a long time we're going up in value about 20k a year um so even just sitting on a property, doing nothing with it because the shortage of housing everywhere and because land and property is finite, there's a sh- only a certain amount of it. You can't add to it. Those property prices do rise every year um, and they are rising every year. So there is financial value or financial return for people to do that when it comes to then that's on an individual. So say if someone wants to has a bit of cash and can pay 200K for a property and then just leave it there, it goes up in value. They don't have to bother doing anything. Then there's your bigger players, mm. as you say, the, the Lex Luthers of the world. There are unfortunately uh, large organisations in Ireland, Irish organisations, uh, foreign organisations that buy property, that get multiple planning applications on them. Let it lapse, go again for planning, let it lapse, go again for planning, sit on the property, then claim that it's unviable for to do anything, even though they might have spent a huge amount of money on that, on that land in the first place. With Ireland having the highest land values, in Europe, yet we have the least densely populated country. That makes no hmm. financially. That makes no economic sense. Like in, in a market sense, that makes no sense. We have all this land; it's not being used, but it's it's the most expensive in Europe. Um, so there is. I mean, Cork is has got what we call dereliction wasteland. So if you walk around Cork City, there are blocks within the city which have very high percentage of vacant and derelict properties, which are clearly someone's got some long term plans and they've been that way for a long, long time. And we spoke to a few builders. We've spoken to some smaller developers and, you know, open conversations where they say, look, guys, 
you know, we might be on the other sides of, of the fence in this one, but why would we do something but the sites, you know, why would we spend money on that, uh, get a return of maybe 20% if we can get a return of 15% by doing nothing? And that's what that's the feedback we've got. So the, there is that kind of... And the challenge is the longer you leave that going on, the more that will escalate because the, the, the demand for housing will increase. So the longer you leave that uh, ability to sit on land, that means it will drive up prices for everybody else. And and then the, the motivation to sell or do anything with that land is reduced because their property is going up. And, and also, if you don't place any economic value on the, the sustainability of doing something with it, you know, then that's that's that doesn't feature in any balance sheet. So all you see is uh, money, money in, money paid for land, money out, the amount you sold it for, uh, costs, little bit of vacant property tax, but nothing. All built in, all fine, still makes sense to but do so nothing. You may be even able to offset some of that against your taxes. Just to finish up, where have you seen underliction? Uh, you know, those little chinks of light where places that you saw on your return are now homes. Does that happen? Is- Absolutely, yeah. Now, there's been some that have been quite a shock to us, as in we thought the building was under un- unable to save it and they've actually been brought back into use. So there's there's been a few where like, oh, wow, if they can do that there, then it really shows what's possible. There's a lovely um, curvilinear Dutch style piece of architecture in Blackpool that was derelict right. for decades, decades and that's been restored wonderfully. I mean, there's uh, in Shandon, not far from where we live here, there's a was once like an old builder's yard come garage, which has been uh, basically what they've done wonderfully is they've retained the external walls for the cork sandstone, the cork limestone, and recognizing the value of those materials to the city in terms of heritage. And they've built two uh, two two wonderful homes inside it. So so there's been great examples. I mean the the city authorities uh, working. Um, who who did, who who did work on the one in Shannon Street? The renovation of the old that was the council directly. Council directly, council directly did that one. Yeah. And Peter McFerry Trust are doing a lot of, especially when you see old warehouses and stuff that they're converting into into lovely homes. Yeah, yeah this one done recently on Henry Street in Cork as well, which is done by Peter McFerry Trust, which was like I said, an old warehouse, and they've converted that. So there is definitely, and I suppose, um, yeah, I, I think when we do share the good stories, people get uh, it's good to have positive stories as yeah. well. So there is that shift. I think. The what thing- do they do? What do they do right then? The bits where is that just circumstance? Somebody who's been sitting on it, having an attack of conscience, somebody dying. You know what? What? What frees up the inertia? Have you seen? Is there any common theme? I think in some cases it might be to cancel CPO and going mm. buildings and then and then directly renovating themselves. And um, Peter McFerry Trust obviously do a lot of work in trying to get owners. I'm not too sure if they sell their buildings to them or what way that works. Um, mm. But I suppose what's consistent across those, except for that houses in Shandon, is generally the lack of profit motivation. Mm. So most of the private redevelopments we've seen on a small individual house level, they've ended up going for rent afterwards. So they generally don't sell, mm. but the rent, and that's because rents are crazy high. Mm. So there, there is clearly a financial motivation for individual homeowners to 
or well, there are landowners to renovate properties and then put them up for sale in the city centre. I mean, making a generic cost estimate to it, but even like a very generous generic cost estimate, their their rental yields can be well over 10%. So that's that's very high. Finally, finally, for citizens, what can we do at the bare minimum, even if we're if we've no skin in the game and we've no skills, what do we have? We have eyes. What can we do with those eyes to create the, the data we need in a coordinated way, I suppose? I suppose the main thing to start with is looking up, looking up mm-hmm. and looking around us and questioning whether that is acceptable or not. Um, then the second, we'd ask people to share images on social media under the hashtag DerelictIreland. And that's been extremely popular. So there's about 15 groups already around Ireland set up on Twitter sharing images on a regular basis of derelict properties locally but in, there's also hundreds and hundreds of people are doing it as well so it's not you don't mm. have to set up a special account you can just share it you can mm. also con- contact your local authorities um, and then there's a few websites that collect information on it as well yeah i think the key thing is to believe that you have the power to change things i suppose that's fundamental to all of our work because we believe people have the power to change things so you have to be able to, willing to speak up stand up and get that message out there and i think that's the key thing is not to think you can't do anything about it if derelict Ireland has shown anything it's shown that people on a grassroots level can have a huge influence you got to go back if you go back over three years ago column there was no one talking about dereliction this has been derelict ireland and the related activity has been in the media every week now for over two years and I think that's people power. That's people across the country speaking up. So, look, with our homeless figures at the moment at 13,000, our hidden homeless at 300,000, we know about direct provision, travellers. There's so many people struggling. So I think the key thing we'd want people to take away is that get involved, share like Jude said, and speak up, whatever way you want to do that, but also believe that change is possible. You know, I think that's the fundamental thing, that our voices count and where we are, in, I suppose, in, in, in the world now in terms of all the challenges, I think it's important to remember the grassroots is the key for making the change happen. That's the way we see it anyway. That was Frank O'Connor and Jude Cherry. They are systems designers at anish.ie. That's the Irish for now. Uh, anish is spelled A-N-O-I-S. But for the purposes of this podcast, they are the creators and instigators, hopefully, of a movement, Derelict Ireland. Follow the hashtag on Twitter and start your own one wherever you see a suspiciously high amount of biodiversity growing out the broken roof of a house in your area. That's it for the Function Room this week. Like and share, review, let me know who and what you'd like me to talk about. Bye for now. 